Okay. Uh, hello and welcome to the 17th episode of the PS Premier Podcast. I am your host, James Smith, and today I'm joined by none other than Dory. Hello, it is me. I go by she, her, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at declare192, where I'm talking about Miles Morales sometimes. And special guest, one quarter of the Draft Punks podcast, uh, Rob Hudak. Oh, hi. Hey, thanks for having me on, y'all. Uh, glad to have you. Um, so, first off, uh, I want to know, Rob, what are you playing recently? What have you been playing this week? Oh, boy, it's a lot. Uh, primarily, it's Demon Souls, uh, followed up by Miles Morales, and I am just about to start Yakuza Like a Dragon. Mm, right, Yakuza. How how is that? I oh, literally have, like, I installed I'm, it, made sure it works. How's the install and, process? Yeah, I was just yeah. about to say, how's the install process? Does it look well, pretty? when I... you realize that you don't have uh, the appropriate file or space left in your hard drive, uh, it becomes problematic. But then you realize, okay, I should just delete a game or two and uh, appreciate the constricting data cap on uh, on your console. Great um okay dory what about you what have you been playing uh conversely with rob not a ton uh i play i was just so focused on finishing miles morales i recently finished melody of memory uh which was a really good rhythm game with some okay plot elements at the end that i have mixed feelings on um and then um uh and then i've been playing a tiny bit of hades like when i'm when i'm like listening to a podcast or if I'm in a class that I'm bored at, that's usually when I'm playing Hades these days. Um, I still really love the game, uh, but I'm finding diminishing returns. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, I've put over, four, f- to be clear, put over 50 hours at this point. So, you know, that's a lot for me. Uh, I don't usually put that much in video, unless it's Kingdom Hearts. Then I don't usually put that amount of time. But yeah, uh, yeah. so that's what I've been playing. Great. Uh, I've been playing myself. I've been playing... Uh my ps5 which finally came in mm. it finally hit uk shores yippee um and with that i also have started playing i played through astro's playroom um which is a lot of fun i i also played through um i've played some of demon souls and i've played some of miles morales um to- the, the thing is right with the ps5 i just want to touch on this because we've talked about this in previous weeks but i just want to give my take on like the dual sense and the, the haptic feedback and everything like the the adaptive triggers and the haptic feedback they're great they're fantastic but and i don't know if you have to weigh in on this rob because you've also got uh, your ps5 but like they're the great week, yeah. yeah yeah like they're great but i don't think they're the second coming of christ like everyone keeps hyping them up to be yeah i i feel like there is there's an immediate reaction to grasping onto something a little bit in this case, kind of literally of something that represents the, what, what PlayStation specifically is doing for their next gen. And the, the, the running joke right now is kind of like, Oh, dual sense is the HD rumble. I mean, it feels like HD, HD rumble a little bit to be a little bit like absurd, yeah. but like th- I'll get into it a little bit specifically with Demon's Souls. I think there are really cool elements that it has. I feel like perhaps the wider gaming journalist uh, rounds are a little bit more uh, 
excessively positive on it but it, like it's got some really cool things going on for it uh and i think so i played a little bit of astro's playroom too and i uh, fired up the playstation to make sure it worked right um and uh, like i want to definitely dive into that and see what it has to offer it's it's cool and i i think the kind of the persistent narrative that i think is going to be important to keep in mind moving forward is how games utilize it moving forward like from a third party perspective uh i mean first party perspective i don't doubt that it's going to be leaned into a little bit but it's more like the call of duties the the assassin's creed valhalla is moving forward in the years to come to like if they feel like it's worthwhile for them to invest resources in that and yeah uh, and that, like, that's the thing like i've already i've already seen like assassin's creed valhalla doesn't have support mm. for the triggers right which right. is i'm kind of worried that's like a sign of what's to come um but at the that same is. time like it, as as cool as the those things are like there's that one bit in astro's playroom where you're on you're in that sort of ball that you have to move with the touchpad and you're rolling over this rocky terrain mm. And it's like it's just this incredible visceral feeling of rock of like moving over this terrain. But that sort of feeling, I think, comes from an amalgamation of stuff like three D audio, the triggers, and the haptic feedback, and just right. sort of everything used in combination. I don't think that's because Absolutely. those. I don't think those features are incredible on their own. But it's sort of like, and I think that's like the whole appeal of this new generation for me, anyway, with the PlayStation Five. Is it's it's great, but it's great because of all the things that sort of sort of used in combination. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and I, I think real real quick on the the Astro's playroom and like the, the 3D audio and all that. I think that it, what's great about Astro's playroom is it is yes, it's a tech demo for that, but it is the bludgeon of implementation. Whereas I think what's really gonna be important is like the really small subtle uh uses use cases use cases sorry of it that um that make it interesting yeah and like i don't think it will be a case where you know you boot up a game that uses it really well and you're like whoa you know this is so cool i think it's more something that people will get used to mm -hmm. and then it will just make the experience more immersive sort of without totally. you even realizing it um but yeah i've also been playing uh miles morales so i i want to talk a little bit about his photo mode um oh, yeah. because it's, you know it's me. time for the smithy hour it's, <laughs> <laughs> um it's no it really is incredible like i i've said it a couple times like it should be illegal for photo modes to have this much depth like you can you can change you can go they have a separate menu for lighting you can add three separate light sources of your own and you can even completely nullify the ambient lighting and the the world lighting from the sun and everything so like you can and yeah if you just you can do stuff like silhouettes really easily with that and you can set like you can just darken everything and then set up your own really specific lighting and just it's like having a photography studio you know yeah in the palm of your hands it's incredible i was gonna say um I made mention uh, of this to you in private, but specifically, like, I think if anyone's going to really kick the tires really uh, well on photo mode, I think it's uh, someone like you, because you, you really put it through the paces of, like, 
creative representation of the palette that's available in all of those options. I've experimented with the the photo mode briefly in like Demon Souls and glanced at it briefly in Miles, and it's it's impressive. I, I'm yeah. I'm actually like I feel like I want to dive into a lot of those tools now, whereas like previous games I didn't feel as inclined. Yeah, yeah, and like I I do feel like it gets more fun when they add to mm -hmm. use it when they add more features. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was the opposite when I was playing Miles. I, be, and it's really a really simple reason why I felt more disinclined towards photo mode. I only took a, like four or five photos throughout the whole, my whole playtime. Uh, and it's just, there's no shorthand button. You have to pause the menu and then go into photo mode. And I, I know it's such a simple mm. thing, but just adding that extra click makes me so much less likely to take photos. And it's, you know, I'm sure it's outstanding, but photo mode has never been a big thing for me. Even in Ghost of Tsushima, which objectively just has an amazing photo mode. Um, I just, I still, I took some photos here and there, but I, I don't know. I, I start getting overwhelmed with options really easily. And then I'm mm -hmm. just like, you know, I want to go back to the smashy smash and the slashy slash. So, <laughs> and, and go to well, Sushima, so good point of order. Uh, so demon souls has it where you can change the bindings because you can, uh, for the preset controls, uh, the touchpad, either you press either half of it, it allows, it's basically just your tool, tool back. But you can change the controls in the game specifically to one of those halves or any of the buttons, really, being specifically dedicated to photo mode. So you just tap like half of the uh, the touchpad, and you're instantly in photo mode. Um, I wonder if in Miles Morales, if there's a way to, if there's like not a vestigial button, but if one of the buttons that you would utilize less has it can be bound to just activating photo mode. Yeah, maybe I don't know if that'd help. But... Yeah. I'm not sure. I am curious though, uh, Dory, since you've been playing the game on PS4, does it have all the same options for phone yeah. with the lighting? Uh, that's yeah, that's one of the things that was really talked about on Twitter was that it's it basically has all the look. All you're getting on the PS5, and and I think this is awesome, by the way. But all you're really getting is that you can do 30 frames per second or 60 frames fidelity or performance, mm -hmm. um, and you have faster load times. And honestly, PS4. It's load times are not shabby. I think the most I ever, I think I looked at my phone for yeah. about 10 seconds or something. And before I knew it, it was already back up. And then there's that scene that they really showed off where Miles comes out of the warehouse straight into New York. That's on PS4 or PS5. I thought mm -hmm. that was a PS5 exclusive where like there's no load screen, but you just jump right back into New York. And I'm like, what the, like, you know, so um, yeah. Yeah, you're not. It's it. There is a difference between the the two platforms. Don't get me wrong, but you're not. It. I. I wouldn't be surprised to see some criticism towards Insomniac of not making enough differences. I don't. I. Don't, I'm not a techie though. It doesn't really matter to me. The thirty frames, or sixty sure. frames. I, I think like, like playing it, you do notice like why like the fact that it's a next gen version because yeah. i one of the things mm -hmm. besides the photo mode one of the things that stood out to me the most and i want to get into, i'll use this as a segue to get into demon souls as well because it's the same case there where it's like I, I don't know if this is just me and maybe not being used to playing games in 60 fps but like playing those games in well playing spider-man in performance mode and just playing demon souls like they're ridiculously smooth like they run mm -hmm. a solid 60 fps and it's like it feels like the smoothest 60 fps I've yeah. played a game in. I played it. Uh, I've played Miles Morales on because <clears throat> I'm not going to get into the long story of uh, my PlayStation Five not arriving until much later. But point being, I was supposed to get it a certain day on Saturday this past week, but it didn't arrive. So I was like, well, to kind of commiserate a little bit, I'll 
enjoy a game that I'll be able to play coming soon whenever my PS5 arrives. And so I picked up Miles Morales and tried it out a little bit there just to see if I could have a point of reference. And yeah, it and it's it runs really well. Yeah, there's a little bit of a of a delay in terms of like the load, but it's not bad. Uh, especially as, like a Souls veteran, you <laughs> you can tell what bad load times are <laughs> having died a lot, but um it's it's not bad and I will say that immediately upon firing it up on the PS5, it wasn't like I was complain I was playing a completely different game, but it is an immediately noticeable difference specifically like you're saying with uh, like as someone who plays a lot of games on PC, like seeing the option to toggle between and that quickly together of like 30 versus 60 in my experience, it stands out. It's stellar and it already is what like kind of a dynamic 4K for Miles Morales, right? Even in performance mode. Yeah, so it still it still looks incredibly sharp. It doesn't quite have the uh, the ray tracing bells and whistles, which does add a lot for sure to like an aesthetic. But um, like the ray tracing is specific to certain areas that you get to see in an occasion that kind of add to that immersion. Whereas I feel like the sixty frames is a persistent, like constantly seeing the difference moment to moment in combat swinging around and it just feels like lovely yeah and the interesting thing as well about the photo mode is like when you put it into photo mode if you're playing in performance mode it automatically changes to mm -hmm. graphics mode when you go into photo mode so you even if you want to play in performance mode you don't have to swap it to which is brilliant to get that good stuff which is yeah that is great um because i i'm playing in performance mode so that saves me a lot of hassle well, right why wouldn't you want to take a photo in the highest uh, possible fidelity yeah like and you don't need 60 fps for moving the camera exactly around. exactly no that's, um, that's super smart but yeah we should talk a little, a little bit about demon souls so uh rob you and i have both been playing a bit of it mm -hmm. um uh what do you think so far you're you said you were about five hours in yeah uh so this is my first time playing demon souls uh i had this was the one like shame i've had of the whole series is i never played this particular one because i sold my playstation 3 prior to being able to play it at the time but i was super looking forward to it and this is honestly the reason why i bought my ps5 was because uh it was announced as a launch title and i was like well obviously i have to buy this game now on this console and it one it is stunning moment to moment whether you're in performance mode or you're in uh, fidelity mode or cinematic mode, I think is specific nomenclature there. But anyway, it's breathtaking. It just firing it up and exploring that initial area is is a selling point, I think, for that console and what it what it is capable of. And even. Even now, like on my my desktop wallpaper is a screenshot. One of the first wallpapers they released of Demon Souls for PS5, and that was captured in game, which it like yeah. you don't believe. You don't you see this wallpaper in 4K and you don't believe it's real, and then you fire up that game and explore a little bit, and like it's absolutely true. Like it, there's no smoke and mirrors. It it is it is stunning. Yeah, and I think like the sixty FPS helps a lot as well. Mm -hmm. And like it's it's nuts that that game doesn't even use ray tracing. 
and it still looks that good. Well, that's the thing is like, I, I, I think it's kind of funny if, if you were to incorporate something like ray tracing specifically in a Souls game, and this game in particular, I don't know of many reflective surfaces in which that is actually totally useful. Sure, like the lighting positioning um, would be helpful, but I think they've done an incredible job at um, communicating effectively what the what the world is. And I'm just constantly in awe of exploring it and want like, like as someone who loves playing these games to begin with and just exploring them in general. I am. I feel like I'm constantly rewarded visually just in poking at different corners because it's it's beautiful. Yeah, and it really uses like you can see why it was it's not on the PS4 because mm, yeah, it really yeah. uses those PS5 features really well. Like the 3D audio in particular, um, like that bit with there's a bit early on where you have to run past some you have to run under a dragon that's trying to shoot mm -hmm. fire at you mm -hmm. and like with 3d audio on that is stupidly scary like i was yeah i was shitting bricks <laughs> <laughs> well there was a there was one instance in particular it was super uh i'm going to use this as kind of a a couple instances on the ps5 of like what i really appreciate what it's doing as far as subtlety so the 3d audio uh there was an instance in which I was right before the tower, or not the tower, uh, the Boletarian Palace, which is shortly after you def uh, you fight the Vanquisher Demon and get sent into the, the Nexus, and then you go into one of the Archstones. Huh. And it's in the same area where you fight that dragon, or see that dragon blowing fire. But uh, it's right where you start where the Archstone sets you, where there's that bridge leading into the main like gate or portcullis, and you can go off to the left and continue on. Yeah. But there is a corpse of a horse. Mm -hmm. And if you continue along, there was an instance when I, ex I was just sitting and talking with Jess briefly, but there was a, I still had my headset on, and there was a sound cue and it was the flies it was the flies hovering above the horse and like the variance in pitch and sharpness that the flies had in like the buzzing that they did in it, it felt like a fly was literally in my headset buzzing around and it was weird and uncanny in a way uh and That's really cool. I didn't I need to go back and check that because I think I must have walked over that or something and not realized. Well, that's the thing is I totally found it on accident because I had just yeah. like put the controller down as I um, was talking with Jess about something, but I would heard it in the background and I just sat and listened to it for a second. I was like, that's incredible. Like it was to the right of me and a little bit behind and the way it was tickling, like part of my ear was remarkable. Uh, and I bring that up as a, as like a, Use case and subtlety in addition to what we'd mentioned prior to uh, the dual sense, like haptic feedback and everything. So, what the game utilizes in its implementation of that is with the like breaking of barrels, which is a time honored tradition in Souls game, just rolling through crates and stuff. But it was something I noticed where. Like, if you, let's say, roll through a set of crates or barrels or, like, hit it with a sword, the vibration would pulse in such a way, rel one, relative to your position, 
So if like you smacked it and turned around, the controller would change its positioning of vibration to where that occurred, which was weird. But also the way it like there's an initial strong pulse and then like the subtle buzzing that it does toward the bottom of the controller toward where your palms would rest. That's it's super faint, but I think that's the kind of that's the style of subtlety in the haptic feedback I want to see more of. Yeah. As I think that is super whereas like Astro's playroom is like in your face about it you almost wouldn't notice it in that and like even having something like a an elite 2 controller Sekiro doesn't do quite the same thing like that this is yeah. and this, that's the thing like yeah. you were you were saying before we started recording that like Sekiro was the best combat you know mm-hmm. from software game and like i i agree with that but at the same time like playing demon souls I feel like I like this more just because of how satisfying it is to use the weapons and everything in combination with the dual sense and how it utilizes mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I could totally see that. And that's I will I will say part of that is because you're now experienced with what FromSoft games have to offer in seeing the best and seeing what they're trying to accomplish with their combat. I still think Bloodborne to me is like the perfect encapsulation of their combat. But in a lot of ways, their games, ha- for the most part outside of Sekiro, their games haven't really changed. And this is, well, yes, this is a Blue Point remake. It's from every account I've seen and understood, this is like a one to one as far as like timings and weapon, um, weapon styles. It's just they added a little bit more to the animations. But in conjunction with something like the the dual stunts, like it it provides better feedback to what you want to experience with like colliding a sword against a corridor when you're using like a two handed sword and you're in a narrow corridor and like you feel the scrape of it against the wall and you're like oh this is too big for that I probably shouldn't be doing it this way and I think you're right and like the controller adds a little bit of that yeah definitely uh, speaking of like the animations as well. I think I feel like I feel like from software games in general, at least the ones I've played, they've been a little bit sort of um I don't wanna say they've not had good animation, but like they're stiff. They're, they're stiff, that's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. They're yeah. <laughs> they're quite stiff. Um I feel like that's not the case with this Demon Souls remake. I feel like like that yeah. lends itself. It's a lot more fluid and it that totally. lends it that lends to that feeling of like, wow, this game really looks incredible this is something else yeah yeah absolutely and i think one the 60 frames uh persistent adds a lot to that because having played Sekiro on pc and always having the 60 frames um like you you get such a better feedback and reaction to engaging with the combat and timing is better uh but also going back and playing like dark souls remastered it feels better because when especially when you go back and see like I, I know that you don't have a point of relativity for these games specifically in that, but like playing it through the first time in like a 30 frames per second and then going back and when you can try it out in 60, you start to see like, oh, this feels so much better. And then going and then seeing what Bluepoint has done and adding just a little bit of flavor to the animations themselves. It's really interesting to see like those small things add so much more like it's like a, a veil of depth to the combat that was already there 
and understanding the timing of the animations to an extent because ultimately like the enemies attack in the same way the attacks that you do are basically the same um it's just certain things are ever so slightly tweaked uh, specifically in a lot of the like the backstabs and the parry animations they added like i think it was five per weapon essentially there's like two hand like one-handed uh parry two-handed parry uh backstab and or one-handed backstab and two-handed backstab and then something else but it's it's impressive it's not yeah. was what i was expecting at all for the, the attention to detail that they added but it's it has a and lot. i guess i guess that's probably why everyone really wants a, a bloodborne remastered or bloodborne on pc so they can get that 60 fps and yep and yeah. like consistent frame input because it like it has bad frame pacing to where it just staggers sometimes and like that is one of my favorite games of all time but boy howdy it, it is held back by uh by those two things yeah for sure um like so i haven't played i never played the original demon souls obviously i think you don't you didn't either you're no, saying no it started a demon um, Dark Souls one. yeah so um and obviously this has been a thing in in dark souls games since then so this isn't anything new but I do like how the notes that are sort of left on mm-hmm. the ground are super, like, and I've played uh, some Dark Souls 3, and in that game, the notes, sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they're trying to get you to walk off a cliff or something like that. Sometimes they're trolling you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, all the ones, at least so far, in what I've played of Demon's Souls have been really helpful. Like, uh, that mm-hmm. first, there's the, there's the first boss that you have to go up against, not counting the uh, the, the guy that you're supposed to get killed by. There's the um the big uh the thing that looks like that Pokemon that's a big sludge pile. <laughs> you you the know puddle the puddle of shields, yeah. Yeah, the puddle of shields. Uh, uh, yes, I muck. probably I probably would have been <laughs> Muck probably would have killed me several times if it wasn't for a note on the ground that said to use fire. With fire in, as effective or something. Like, you know. Yeah, and I and so I went in there first try, just threw a bunch of firebombs at it and killed it first try, no sweat. Yep. So yeah, wow. and James is now those a pro, are now a pro I'm now a pro. Yep. I'm now a pro from software player. That's so. right. See, it's it's funny that you bring that up because your experience like is a really good litmus test of what a lot of the Souls community is like. Where there are people that will just try to troll you and like, oh yeah, treasure ahead, and it's a pit where you die <laughs> yeah. and there is something to there is something funny about that of just like well i i trusted them and i fell off a pit and i died oh well i lost thirty thousand souls whatever um but there there is like and it that to me that kind of ties in it not like one-to-one but there is also that subsection of the community that is always like well if you can't play these games you're just trash to so like get good or blah 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 like I totally reject that sensibility, and I think it's bullshit. Um, these games are about community and sharing in the victories and successes together and helping each other succeed. And yeah. so the notes that like you found that helped you succeed in that fight, that is the dynamic of the community that I try to represent and participate in because these games are already actively pushing you away from them to start. like they're designed to and miyazaki uh the developer of these like of from software is always been about like his perception on these is about sharing in community and 
having people share in like the story and communicate their interpretations and perspectives on things and to um to share in that victory and i think that that's why like in minmax we have that whole channel of like what was summer of soulsborne is now soulsborne life like it's why certain people like us are in there as frequently as we are offering as much help as we can because these games can be obtuse and impenetrable yeah and, and like those notes are deadly yeah. like that I could have died on that boss twenty totally. times and given up. Like I, I got, to, I did get to a point later on where I, I gave up at least for a while. Uh, oh, for sure. Like if that had happened earlier on, I would have probably given up then a lot earlier. Right. So they, exactly. you, you do have a point about you know the the them notes and people being helpful, sort of keeping you in the game. And at yeah, the same I, time, like what you were saying about the uh, the notes that are sort of trolling you and everything. Oh yeah. I think like those are those are funny because you. You're the one taking the risk because you know exactly. it's a risk when you follow exactly. what they're saying. So if you die, you know it's like, oh, oh well, that was my fault. I was, I knew what I was walking into. So yeah, and like I, I can see the appeal of being the type of person that just like messes with a, a wayward adventure first time through these games and sees that and trusting like the naivete of like going through and like, oh, they said there was something here and falling off a cliff, dying. Well, they got me, and yeah. that's the thing is you start to know moving forward okay people are actively working against me <laughs> so you have to start like it, it's like a weird type of gaslighting um where the game like you can't always trust the information available to you but there are people out there that are genuinely trying to help each other and i will say that i can't i can't speak to how it was in the original demon souls based on uh me not playing it but as far as I can tell, especially given my experience with Dark Souls 1 through 3 and Bloodborne and the notes that are left there, these are the most eloquent you can be with the notes that you give. Whereas before it was essentially like subject verb, subject verb. Uh, yeah. These are like you can form coherent sentences that indicate like there, you can input literal arabic numeral numbers in them which was off-putting to me <laughs> it was like wait what is this here <laughs> uh, someone like literally quantified two enemies ahead i was like i'm not used to that type of specificity in these games <laughs> yeah but it was super appreciated for someone like in your instance that might not know any of that information like oh good looking out yeah, and, and like as as someone yeah. who has played some Dark Souls three, I did notice that as well. There are mm -hmm. still a couple that are a little ambiguous. Like totally, there was one. There was one um, that told me uh, to uh, look forward, look forward to fire ahead, uh, mm -hmm. and I wasn't entirely <laughs> sure what that meant at first. And then I, I do, and, <laughs> and then uh, and then it hit me. But um, literally, yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, I am curious. Do you know anything about this uh, secret door that everyone's going on about? Yes. Uh, so Marvel actually made mention of this prior to the recording as well. And I've been following it along uh, as it has kind of developed, not like religiously or anything, but as it kind of bits and pieces were updated to it. So in this game, in a particular section, there is a specific door that was not in the original game. It was added with the remake. And so this caused the community, uh, specifically people that are really good at breaking breaking sequences. Uh, in particular, the person is a Twitch streamer named Distortion12, I want to say. Distortion um, 
Distortion 2. Okay. He's he's notable for having found a lot of different bugs and shortcuts and kind of hacks, specifically like Sekiro for speedrunning. Uh basically just breaking the game. He's really good at breaking the game uh in these instances. And uh he as well as a lot of the community started crowdsourcing and solving this puzzle of how we could get behind this door. They'd found they utilized the photo mode, another useful tool, uh, to see on the other side of the door and kind of glitch through it a little bit and saw that there was uh what is colloquially referred to in the souls community as a glowy or a shiny um it's just a glowing white beacon on top of a corpse essentially typically indicating like an item like a sword armor or uh, a consumable hmm. so they cracked the code essentially what was tied to these ceramic coins this is important because blue point uh the developer of the shadow of the colossus remake did something very similar with that game where they added in coins tied to what was what like a hidden location that was or a location that was kind of written off as um undeveloped or unfinished uh yeah, and Jacob Geller has a a really good video right. on it that I recommend everybody check out Absolutely uh so they included these what 26 ceramic coins and what's really funny is, uh, as an aside, they, if you tried to duplicate uh, the coins, which was like it was a common glitch attempt, uh, these types of games, if you tried to duplicate the coin, it turned the item from a ceramic coin into a broken coin. So they were aware of this potentiality and like actively punished you for it. Wow. Which is okay. just, uh, but if you got to 26 coins, and the way to get these coins is super in keeping with the spirit of Demon Souls and Souls games in general is super esoteric and tied to world tendency, which is which is a whole other uh, component of this game. Basically, like actions that you do have an impact on whether the whether or not the game is harder or easier, and certain people will populate and certain things will show up. So these coins were tied to the world tendency. And the community dug in and found all 26 and found that what was behind the... You turn it into a staple of the series, which is a crow, uh, which is on brand. Uh, <laughs> and um, Typically in the Soul series, like there's, there's, a, there's a crow in a nest that you can give uh, different items to, and they will reward you with different items of varying rarity um sometimes tied to chance uh but they gave you a key and the key opened up this door and in behind this door was not a tease to bloodborne 2 or a bloodborne remake like some people might have thought which was silly but a set of armor uh that is tied that was a, a set of armor of one of the bosses the penetrator and it is requiring a lot of effort to get to it. It's a little bit excessive, but I think that is a, a beautiful way to like reward the community for engaging with your your game and hiding like participating in the narrative of mystery that these games often have and providing something new for like diehard veterans. I was telling so Rob, not um I was telling not Rob not that. some kind of 
<laughs> Sorry. What's I, that? So I was telling Rucka before the before the sh- the show that I think it's amazing that games can still do this. Like this was a mystery mm-hmm. in the Dark Souls community. Not, that's not a community I'm particularly familiar with, really. But uh, I even I knew about it just through the general you know Twitter or discussions in MinMax server or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, to eat this shit up. <laughs> and. Um, you know, uh, people, and just the fact that it was able to stay hidden for at least a couple of days on the internet. I mean, you know, games used to do this, and people wouldn't find out what it was until years later when the internet got better developed in terms of forms. Some still, like, had yeah. not been solved, like, 26, 25 years later in yes. some instances. So, anyway, sorry, James. Yeah, no, um, but so, yeah, so it wasn't like a, a Metal Gear Solid Easter egg behind no the, uh, behind the door teasing uh the metal gear solid remake no and that's the thing is a lot of people had um kind of let their expectations run wild which i get but yeah, yeah. there was there's a lot to sort of hype building up when you something totally. takes this long to totally but in keeping with kind of the the sensibility of what they did prior as history being an account it wasn't anything major it was just a reward for the community to have something cool and to just add that it just enriches the experience and was was that armor set in the original i know from oh. what i understand no yeah, okay well, that's pretty cool then yeah it's it like it requires a lot of steps and like yeah. getting the game into what is essentially like pure white world tendency pure black world tendency which is difficult to do and super esoteric but like now there will be guides in how you can accomplish that. And like, we live in such an interesting age where you can, yeah, it lasted a week, but that's kind of an eternity in, in an era of, of that type of mystery. Yeah, And true. I'm the type of person that lives for that stuff. Even if I'm not always the one that's participating in them. I did. I've made mention of this to Dory prior, but the destiny Two like corridors of time one, that was one uh, I use it as an example of like there are certain studios that continue to make these types of community puzzles and mysteries, and I love them. Uh, that was one I'm more engaged with, uh, with a hands-on mentality. This one was just I want to see because I have little experience with Demon Souls to begin with. I just want to kind of see how this plays out and appreciate like what they felt was an important change because by all accounts this game is like almost slavishly tied to the original down to frame animation timings uh, and item placement and everything else. Um, but to give this one little uh, tip of the cap to the community is should, it should be recognized. And I think that's, I would love to see more of that stuff going forward because it is yeah. in the spirit of what the souls games do. Definitely. I am big fan of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. how are you feeling about the game and then enjoying it uh, in general so far? Yep. I love it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's more souls and I, yes, Sekiro has the best combat of all. Bloodborne is my favorite FromSoft game ever made, but I still love like Dark Souls one through three. I have the, uh, the hot position that, uh, that I share with Dantec that I think Dark Souls two is probably the best of that trilogy. Um, that is not a popular opinion and I understand oh, why, yeah. but, uh, I, this is fulfilling in me the same sense of wonder and discovery that I had the first time I fired up Demon Souls back in like when I first played it. I think it was like 2012, 2013. Uh, it came out in like 2011. But 
it is fulfilling on that the the sense of exploration and adventure that i loved from the legend of zelda as a kid and what was previ- like what continued to be expanded upon with like ocarina of time majora's mask twilight princess skyward sword is good but but like part of the reason why i fell away from zelda up until breath of the wild and skyward sword is kind of an uh, a use case for me is those games became tedious with how much they held your hand and how much they made sure that you didn't forget that you could check your map for this specific thing and don't forget there's a trap over in that corner of the dungeon and don't forget there's a key over in that side of the dungeon it's like Rob, can, when you're 12 hours into a game, you might forget that, like, you know, a, a blue ruby is worth five. Is worth five. I mean, you just might forget. <laughs> you make a solid point. You know? I'm sorry. But like, Nintendo just doesn't trust in your memory. <laughs> Nintendo doesn't trust. I mean, I, there there is something to be said for accessibility and ensuring that your player base understands the mechanics but before But I mean, Fi goes overboard. I, I know what you're talking about in Skyward Sword. Like, or Fi yeah. or whatever her name is. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's excessive. It's always been a staple of the series that like Navi or whichever, those types of games. Like, I don't, I don't hate tutorials, but when the entire game is a tutorial, I tend to push back. Yeah. Uh, because I should be allowed to trust, like be trusted by the game that I can potentially solve how to move forward and then hit something granted these games can be obtuse in understanding what like npc quest lines are like and i will not ever refute that trying to save solaire in dark souls one is it can be a chore if you don't know what to do because it's not relayed in any reasonable way to you but there is a sense of mystery that comes from that and i think that lives in the sensibility from when I was a kid and games designed to that era of an arcade sensibility of like replayability. So Dark Souls is a game that is meant to be played multiple times over if you want to and rewards you for that. And New Game Plus times three or what have you. Like taking the time, because when we were kids, I'm sure a lot of us understand like when you were a kid, you had one, maybe two games that you could afford as a family and so you played those over and over and over again and you start to understand like the different things you could do with it in multiple playthroughs like what with chrono trigger being like the first real new game plus um these games give me that constantly and i think i feel like this game plays in some ways dated for sure but i love that really weird combative dark fantasy that it has and like pushing you away from it a little bit it's like no i want to see what you have around this corner oh yeah that time it killed me all right well now i know um yeah. and i th- i do think it holds up surprisingly well like it does feel yeah. a bit dated in some areas but yeah it's ahead of its it time yeah. yeah what about you to what do you sure. think i i someone think that hasn't played much of them as someone who hasn't played much of them I, I think playing Sekiro gave me a deeper appreciation for the series. Mm. So whereas before, maybe I would have shrugged it off. I would have not gotten the appeal and died a lot of times and then given up completely. That was I'm probably for a lot of people. Too. Yeah, I'm I'm probably more willing to, to push through with this one. 
mm-hmm. uh, I I like the I like the fact that it's sort of laid out a bit differently than Dark Souls games, or at least Dark Souls Three, which is the only one I've played, where you've got like it's kind of a linear path in that game, it's and you've got yeah. yeah, and you've got uh, you've got uh, bonfires along the way every now and then. But with this one, it, it feels like at least on the first level, which is the only really the only really the only part that I've played, it's sort of you have mul- you have to go you know left so that you can go mm-hmm. around and unlock this door and then you have to go right and unlock this door and then that unlocks that door and there's not really any bonfires along the way you're just unlocking shortcuts mm-hmm. and, and those are your sort of checkpoints and i think honestly i kind of like that more i feel like that's more clever level design yeah absolutely yeah. and that's one of the the resounding praises that dark souls 1 has is its interconnected world and i think that Having finished this, uh, once you do finish this and you have time, like in uh, we all have like the infinite backlog growing. I will recommend if it, it should work, dark going to, back and to playing Dark Souls Remastered uh, on your PS5 because one it runs in 60 frames and uh, they didn't do much to upres it, but like it still holds up and yeah. it it runs relatively well, but it's the the level design at least in dark souls one is incredible it i know the entire layout of dark souls one's map i can recount it to you basically off like like, like the back of my hand i know how it's laid out i know is, where that, from, these... is that from dying so many times you have to keep That's going part over of it. and over that, yeah. that is part of it but it is also like each area has a sense of presence like mm like the the castle that you go through and like the undead berg and having a similar experience like you're describing with a particular red dragon and a bridge uh that's almost like a series staple sometimes uh they they have that's a recurring theme they go back to is like the quintessential fantasy of the dragon blowing fire on a bridge that's something they like to go back I, to but i and i quite like that as well i i that yeah. kind of feels like that kind of feels like the Souls version of a set piece. Absolutely, know? they have tons of that. Lord stuff. of the Rings, The Hobbit. Yeah, like those games are full of that stuff uh, to varying degrees. But I think that uh, Demon Souls, in this instance, and like Dark Souls in particular, they really utilize like the, the being a participant in the world and the world pushing back. There are cutscenes on occasion, but for the most part, like the cutscene is how you're going to have to respond to something trying to kill you. Um, yeah. And I, I think that adds a, an, an enriching sense of scale of you start to understand what's around certain corners because you know, like if you're going through it at a snail's pace, like you start to know, okay, if I go around this stairwell in this tower, there's a really bad guy above me who can take me out in one hit. So I'm not going up there, but if I continue with this way, okay, so now I've gone this way, but I know that dude's back there. Okay, now there's this massive-ass boar that's trying to kill me here. Okay, I go past him, and like you, that, it starts to compound on itself, and it gives you that sense of exploration, which is really hard to capture Sure, in a yeah, lot of games. Definitely. I think I, once I get through, if I get through Demon's Souls, I'll probably be a lot more inclined to go and play the other ones. Um, so I I likely will do that. Uh, yeah. But now I want to talk a little bit about... Um, well, I want to start off with, with this. So you guys in the US, uh, mm-hmm. the price of new games has increased 
to seventy dollars. Yes. Now they've also increased in the UK to seventy pounds. So they used to be sixty dollars in the US, and they've gone up to seventy dollars. They used to be fifty pounds in the UK, and they've gone up to seventy pounds, which is a bigger Ooh. leap. Yeah. Now, like I'm usually not. Uh, I I try to stay positive about this kind of stuff and not complain too much. But I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I don't like this because they seem to have failed to account for exchange rates um, since it's 70 and 70. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Ryan said in an interview with The Telegraph uh, this week that he considers 70 pounds to be a fair price for PS5 games. The Telegraph is, a, I believe, a British news publication. Um, I, I kind of so much money. He doesn't. It's like, yeah, what, exactly. it's $2 for a banana. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like he's only he only thinks seventy pounds is a fair price because he's the one getting the money. Rob, right. what's a banana worth to him? Right, eleven dollars. I mean, come on, <laughs> what's a single banana? Um, yeah, no, anyway, yeah, no. I mean, it's totally out of touch. Out of touch. Rich guy says that a certain amount of price is fine for everyday normal people. Like focus testing indicates that this is a fair like. We Fuck we you, dude. we quizzed we quizzed uh, five incredibly wealthy individuals, and they said that this was a really fair price. It's like <laughs> no, like like James says, for example, you're not you're not going for exchange rates at all, so you're not you're screwing over other countries. And then uh, like, I mean, like of course you think it's fair. Like, yeah, you're getting paid for, it, and B, you're not suffering for it. You know, it's this is a larger issue here tat. that they keep raising the costs to match the fact that they keep raising production costs as well. Mm -hmm. um, or they keep raising the price to match production costs, but it's just, it's a never ending chase. Right. And I don't even think that the cost, the price of these games is ever going to match how much they're like, you know, God of war or last of us part two, or, you know, anything like these games are right. incredibly expensive to make. They're like Hollywood levels. Uh, I'm pretty what sure. What was the what was the Square Enix figure for Marvel's Avengers? The threshold that they cost, what it cost them to make, and how much they made back on like a Marvel property. It was they made sixty percent back. Oh wow! Uh, wow. Of their, it was like jaw droppingly bad. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially considering like that game got pretty good reviews in the end. Yeah, and like it, it had lots of. I haven't played it myself, but like the consensus was buggy as hell. Was not finished, but it seemed like it was rushed out to capitalize on, like the end of a generation, laying the foundation for the next generation, and be like just in time for like the holiday rush of games coming out, like just beating and, that barely. Yeah, and like it came out. No wait, I keep. I always. I keep. The, I was gonna. Right? I was gonna say it came out quite close to Endgame, but I keep I keep thinking Endgame came out this year, but it was last year, wasn't it? It's still lingering with us just based on yeah. the impact it had. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the the seventy pound price point, like if I was somebody who didn't have to buy everything at launch, it I, it would be fine because I would just wait for sales on everything and then stuff like The Last of Us Part Two that I really wanted to get as soon as possible. That mm. feels worth seventy pounds to me, but like because i sort of because you know doing this uh where we have to talk about games you know and be timely with it and everything and also just the fact that i like games quite a lot mm -hmm. and I, I sort of end up buying most games that i i'm looking forward to at launch right like i feel like there must be a better way to make that money back or at least like if if they even need to and if they they couldn't just like not spend as much money 
making the games in the first place. Well, yeah, a lot of that that that's kind of how we how you see the creep of what uh, microtransactions were doing over the course of this generation, specifically with companies like EA and Activision just being as predatory as they were and turning uh, players into payers. Uh, yeah, but uh, power to the payer. Yeah, right. Um, I feel like the so the last time we had this increase in price from what fifty to sixty was the three hundred and sixty generation, right? Three hundred and sixty PS three. That was when they made that shift to jump the prices again. Um, and then there was some hubbub about it, but it eventually became something that we were used to. Uh, and then cost development went up, inflation, et cetera, like global economic problems, like continued to raise, raise costs. Uh, but the cost of the games themselves didn't change. And so you started having the entire, the fallout of, was it the double a industry or component of the industry like your thqs uh much as nordic tries to keep that alive um that whole component of the industry like fell out it was like a recession in the industry of that component like thq files for bankruptcy and gets all their stuff sold um those types of games just didn't come around as often because they didn't make as much money and the costs were too high for like licenses all that stuff. Uh, I like so you saw, go ahead. So I don't. Uh, I don't sort of claim to know how this sort of stuff works behind the scenes oh. and how how sales figures sort of drop off over time and stuff. But I feel like it's kind of the industry standard uh, at this point for games to just go on sale immediately and just always be dirt cheap after launch. Like I, I was looking at uh, some Black Friday deals yesterday, and right. uh, Doom Eternal, which came out this year for 50 pounds is already down to 16 pounds wow. which is right. ludicrous and how i acquired dishonored 2 when the year that came out was it's the bethesda tradition even if it comes out in like october or early november black friday comes around that game's going on sales for 20 dollars off like yeah. that's just like clockwork absolutely and not. i mean you it's see so squadrons like, squadrons has already been on sale for 20 dollars or less on pc it's, it's so that's the thing. That's the thing is, you start taking into consideration the subscription model. EA Play Pro now used to be Origin Premiere on PC. Uh, EA is going through this whole like restructuring of naming conventions as is like Ubisoft. But so, EA Play Pro, you can play that game fifteen dollars a month. Ubisoft Plus, you can play Assassin's Creed Valhalla, day and date. $15 a month. So yeah. you're starting to see by what Microsoft did with Game Pass, they're starting to find a way, as far as I can tell, I'm not a, like an, uh, an industry analyst, but like seeing the decisions that they're starting to make based on like how quickly they're making those sales, they can afford to, it seems like, make those sales more frequently or early on after the release tail because for certain games because they're making that money back on the back end from the subscription model yeah and it i does think feel that is like helping to feel it, it, it out it does feel like we're heading in that direction with totally. subscription models but then you have to worry as well like is that sustainable i mean i know this is a bit like it's a big topic isn't it like right are subscription models sustainable because what netflix is in a bunch of debt and everything 
and people are like and people are thinking how long can that last like right. you're spending so much on these are you getting all that money back and right. i like you know jim ryan i think came out a while ago and said that he doesn't think that the subscription model is right for playstation and all that like the game pot the game pass Even model they're yeah. literally doing it <laughs> yeah but like i i think what he meant at the time was like uh putting new games on it day and day totally yeah. Totally. And, and th there could be some credence and validity to that. We don't know, especially considering the fact that Xbox is a Microsoft, a multi-billion dollar company that can survive off that type of business model. They have the like the safety net to experiment with that and like build that foundation of the word of mouth like what is like what is the cliche at this point this past year and the year past like do you know how great a deal xbox game microsoft yeah. game pass is like it's incredible because they can afford to um, yeah but like the the subscription model in conjunction with something like loot boxes or microtransactions because also that's the secret with uh something like game pass is they still have dlc they don't include microtransactions in that so you can still pay your subscription that you're going to pay anyway, but you're still investing in the game a little bit. True. And it's, it's smart in, in certain compat certain capacities, but yeah, we don't know like what the length of that tail is for sustainability. And that's a really good point to bring up is like, we have to keep that in mind. We're not developers. So we don't see the day by day instance of this. We are the consumer, but we're also, this is more of like, hobby journalism that we're doing as opposed to something like the game informers the giant bombs the min maxes that have like press accounts that, that get these games for free so when you make mention of like i don't understand why this isn't being made uh, mentioned often is like it's not impacting in the so people in our position are specifically in yours too that are impacted the most with that inflation jump with this generation going twenty dollars up as opposed to our ten dollars up like y'all are being penalized it seems like which is horseshit yeah yeah and it's like i think it's happening in a bunch of a bunch of countries as well like oh, totally. canada canada like it's, yeah. i think we've we've been pretty fortunate with it in the uk historically until now uh and even like at the tail end of the last generation stuff like collector's editions were matching prices with the us and that sort of thing but uh, i think like from what i've heard canada and other countries have had to it, other European countries and that sort of thing have had to deal with this for a long time, right. but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those sort of business models develop. Whether the price stays at seventy, whether it, the the sales start going down, so they start dropping the prices again, or maybe mm. they price things differently and create a new tier of game in between, well, like double A and triple A. Right. Well, and that's how we were starting to see those, like the. <laughs> The cliche like Ubisoft Gold Edition. Right. What yeah. is that serving? Like that is literally just to capitalize on a few extra bucks more to make the difference back. I yeah. think uh, Microsoft also does the um the Game Pass um model because it has to innovate because PS4 and Sony have their exclusives and Xbox just generally yeah. doesn't do that, right? And so even with the launch of the Series X and S, yes. like and so what do they have and game pass. So, yeah and so the big thing that they have is the game pass and 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 total backward compatibility and all that stuff um and i think that's you know i think that's awesome um but i also think totally. it's not just because they have the flexibility for it but it's also because they want something that 
PlayStation doesn't have. I mean, you have PS yeah. Plus, but I mean, it, it is nothing compared and 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 uh, um, uh, PS Now. But it, both of those combined are nothing still compared to Game Pass. Even though totally. on PS Five, PS Plus is a lot better. But it's still well, right? And what they change? What's the thing? That's the thing, though. They changed their model to be slightly more in keeping with what Game Pass is because, like, obviously, it was starting to not necessarily to the extent that like could be like industry changing but they're they're seeing an impact that has on their sales to some extent and that is competition yeah which in the industry that we have like that competition is key because if you don't have that competition what do we have from sony we feel like fortnite is the be- has the best platform in playstation 4 and then how quickly did they change their tune yeah after epic started changing that shit around and like flipping switches like look how easy this is oops uh like that's basically like the 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 blurb that happened on what was it game awards when um jeff Keighley was interviewing like so you guys turned on that crossplay i was like yeah it's an accident (laughs) (laughs) yeah like no it wasn't no it definitely definitely was not as difficult as they were making out to be Right. Some um, instances it is, but when they have those yeah. resources, totally. Oh, definitely. Um, but uh, speaking of subscription models and that sort of thing, do you know what game is probably coming to a subscription service near you very soon? Any guesses? It that yeah, would be one. that would be Godfall. Oh, yep. Because oh. because it's it, uh, well, I don't want to say I, I told you so because historically on this podcast we've been sort of. A bit negative towards Godfall, um, in the in the lead up to its launch, but uh, yeah, it it fell into the sixties on Metacritic. I just wanted to bring that up, uh, quickly. Yeah. Uh, were you? Uh, I mean, Rob, were you interested in picking up Godfall at all? So, from the beginning, from the moment that game was revealed until the reviews hit, I knew that that game was going to as I mean, like everyone did, like. Like the pe- the people that had like their eyes on the industry and have seen this cycle repeat, that is a launch ass game. Yeah. yeah. Now, that doesn't mean it is necessarily a bad game. It is not pushy. Like it is not noteworthy. It has potentially some things going for it. It is used as a a showpiece for potential hardware capabilities, but that doesn't mean that it has any particular soul or essence to it that is worth the word of mouth acclaim and i it, that would that's a game that i upon seeing it was like i'm not going to drop like i'm sure shit not dropping $7 for the new console price point uh, for games like mm-hmm. fuck that yeah but but if it was on sale for $20 and i had a group of friends that might want to try it out sure if i had extra bucks and free time maybe or if it went to ps plus i uh, I guarantee i I guarantee it'll come to ps plus at some point possibly after destruction all stars totally and that yes that that might help invigorate with the player base for co-op stuff and might see it justified in further development down the line in adding like games as a service dynamic to it which is already kind of like a 
uh, a bad word or four letter word these days uh, in some respects, but I think that it could, it could probably find greater success in being a PS plus title. And I think that is like an appropriate, much like with destruction, all stars, all stars, probably a good position for it to be in as Mm. opposed to just, dying on the vine no rob destruction all stores is black friday you're thinking of black friday (laughs) you're not wrong i i you know i know these are two very different games two very different genres but i will always maintain you know i mean i guess i'm saying it for the first time but i'll always maintain that making fall guys on ps plus uh was the best thing they could have done for that game because there was no way i was checking that game out even for 20 bucks um just because i had no interest battle royals are not my thing but everyone and their mother was playing it, and even their mother's mother. And I was like, you know what, this looks fun. And like, I didn't play it a bunch. Certainly, is not as much as I think James did. But I enjoyed it, and I had so much fun laughing and like getting knocked around the whole place. I mean, I never even won, uh, which you know, world's smallest violin. But um, it, it was the best thing they ever did for that game. So I think if they put Godfall yeah. on PS Plus, it'll be, it'll only be a good thing for Godfall, probably. Totally. And it'll get, hopefully, as much separated from Randy Pitchford as possible. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm not sure I have much chance to do that. But, um, yeah, uh, hey, Dory, what what did IO Interactive announce yesterday? Oh, uh, they are Yesterday as of recording, I should say. Yeah, as of this recording, they have announced that they are doing uh, a new James Bond game. Now... I loved James Bond as a kid. I don't love him quite as anymore for very complicated social political reasons. But I still those are like comfort food movies. Like I I remember watching those with my uncle when I was younger, really enjoying them, especially the ridiculous Pierce Bronson movies that were just absolutely <laughs> arcadey and nonsense. Um and so yeah, uh they've announced a new and of course they're the studio behind Hitman, which is kind of what James Bond does, kind of. Uh, it's adjacent. Yeah, like if there was ever a studio that I would choose to make a James Bond game. It's it's it would probably be, they they would be up there, yeah. There's this thing yeah. in it's, the it's movie like one of them, perfect casting. This is like it, it's that. like uh it's like Insomniac making Spider Man, you know? Yeah. It's one of them sort of dream IP sense. matchups. Yeah, it just yeah. makes sense. Um, but yeah, have you guys played many James Bond games? There's been a ton of them. Not recently, but so I played a lot of Goldeneye as a kid. Uh, <laughs> um, I I'm not a huge Goldeneye fan, or not sorry, uh, James Bond fan. Uh, I I like some of the movies. I like the uh, Daniel Craig films. I think those yeah. are good. Chris Brosnan's fun and goofy. Um, I'm more intrigued now at the prospect of a James Bond game simply because it's IO Interactive, and I love, I love those Hitman. And to see them behind the wheel of that is like, that that in and of itself is a selling point. So I didn't get GoldenEye when I had an N64. I had Majora's Mask and a a wrestling game or two. The right choice. Yeah. And I had a few (laughs) other games as well, but... I never got into Goldeneye. So I played Goldeneye for the first time in 2016, 2015. I don't know, somewhere around there. My friend had an N64, and so we all got some pizza. I played it with him, his partner, and one of his friends who was over. And we all just had pizza and played Goldeneye. And I got to tell I, I that game is still fun. Uh, screaming my head off. Uh, like, no, I don't want to die. No. Um, but, Why did you pick odd job? <laughs> 
But my <laughs> my my favorite James Bond game, and it's the only one I ever played as a kid, but I freaking love this game, is Everything or Nothing. That game was phenomenal mm. as a kid. Uh, it had racing. It had the gadgets. It had stealth. It had good gameplay. Uh, uh, even for its time, it got a lot of, eights out of mm. ten, 8 out of 10s. Uh, it was on the PS2. Um, I played that all the time. I played I played multiplayer. They had a multiplayer. I played that with my uncle. I, fr- I freaking loved that game. Um, and mm. it was so good. Um, you know, obviously you have all the problematic aspects of James Bond, uh, like the Bond girls. And, I mean, just James Bond's general profession is kind of, you know, iffy if you think about it. Governments send out spies to kill other people with very little extrajudicial oversight but anyway let's not think too hard about it it was very it was a very good it's fun very video. handsome yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah no it's going to be um apparently it's going to be a completely original origin story yeah which mm-hmm. i mean i think i can speak for everyone when i say that we were all hoping for a new kane and lynch uh when they absolutely. teased an announcement yeah definitely absolutely I but, think um, uh, Jeff Gersman might. <laughs> <laughs> I got that reference. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's interesting though, like that, because all the movies are based on books, and I think uh, are they still based on books? Like, I don't think so. I don't know. Does I, I have no idea. I could, I could speak <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, if they're inspired by. At the very least, I a think lot of Casino the Royale is the last one I watched. I may have watched another. Oh, I did watch another. That's when I. Anyway, yeah, that, I didn't get to see. I'm gonna say I didn't get to see the whole the whole movie. I forget which one it was. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway. Um. That'll be. I think that'll be good. Like I said, that's a perfect sort of match up yeah. there. Yeah. I'm excited um, to see what what happens with that. Yeah. Uh. Also, just before we started recording. Uh, they announced HBO announced that they greenlit the uh, The Last of Us series, and that's entering production. Nice. That's going to be entering production and produced by uh, Neil Druckmann and uh, Craig Mazin, the chap who made Chernobyl. Um, I I assume we all like The Last of Us here. I love the. I haven't. So I've played some of the the second game. I finished the first game. I was waiting until I got my PS5 to like really sit down and play Last of Us Two because good choice, good choice. It it released in the middle of our Summer of Soulsborne thing, so I was like focused on that. But um, I always enjoy the stories that they tell and the characters that they write. I am at odds with every single Naughty Dog game for the gameplay. They're not terrible, but I always find myself fighting with the controls. Yeah, um, that's a completely reasonable take. Yeah, I, I, I God is not known for their uh, for their gameplay. They're known for their stories, their writing, and uh, right. Not to dismiss so, what you're saying, Rob. I just, I just oh no, I, t- I, t- I totally, yeah. I, I totally get that. Some people totally jive with it, and I, I, I love great. their I, gameplay. But I mean, like, I, you know, for the most part, yeah, I gotta say it is not the part that brings me to Naughty Dog games. If a if a Naughty Dog game has good gameplay, I am relieved and 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 content. Yeah, um, and but, yeah. as an example, like. I thought the stealth, which was the the kind of the core of a lot of what Last of Us, the first one was doing, yeah. was bad, uh, and repul- like repellent to engaging with it. But I feel like with a lot of what they did with their accessibility options, which were fantastic, um, in combination with like Insomniac's uh, Miles Morales accessibility options, you love to see it. Yeah. Um, point being, they added a component to the HUD 
that enables stealth detection, like a proper representation of seeing your your relationship with the stealth mechanics, yeah. uh, which is key. And so that one was better. But point being, the like them doing an HBO series is, is in some ways like being able to engage with the best part of a Naughty Dog game. Uh, and yeah. let's just see if it takes another 10 years, like with the Uncharted movie being in hell for as long as it was, like flipping. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we've, we've talked about the Uncharted movie at length. And I think the, the fact that Mark Wahlberg is in that movie alone means that you probably shouldn't have too much hope for it. Uh, as yeah. him as Sully, not the best yeah. casting, but not the best casting. But, um, yeah, speaking of casting, do you guys have any? dream casting for the last of us tv show anyone you you think oh that'd be a good pairing well that, that that's hard Rachel. that's that's the thing that's kind of where i'm i'm conflicted because if we were doing a last of us show i don't want joel and ellie really i i want a different story set in that world that's that that's interesting because um i think for me and i assume for a lot of people the last of us is it is a story about Joel and Ellie. Like it's totally. that that world is very basic, really. It's just a a zombie apocalypse. Like if you, I, I feel like if you were to do a show and it wasn't Joel and Ellie, it would just be another Walking Dead or another another zombie show. Sure, though. Uh, though I feel like in in some ways you could argue that the Last of Us is just Cormac McCarthy's The Road or any other post-apocalyptic like pairing of like lone wolf and cub that's essentially what the last of us is is lone wolf and cub um which is it's an old old story but like it's telling it in a new format and backdrop to make it interesting and writing those that dynamic of those characters well and i feel like i I, granted, I haven't finished Last of Us Part Two, but like I know what that dynamic between Joel and Ellie is. I want to see if I am going to participate in that world more. Give me, um, oh, what's her name? Leader of the Fireflies, Marlene. Um, Marlene, yeah, I'd be more intrigued with seeing Marlene's story. I, I was that's say, fair I, enough. I, I'd be more interested in seeing Leader Bill's story. Like now that, that yeah, exactly. Family, like like getting those side characters and fleshing them out is probably more interesting than just rehashing. Right. I know they won't straight up rehash or recycle, but but straight up reusing Ellie and Joel's story, which is a story I love, and I'd probably tune in for right. to some extent. But I don't know. Like I'd love to see more about Bill. Like what drove him? You know, him and his partner apart. Like what? happened to marlene and the and their and her battle with the government like that right. that is a more interesting story because there are so many more unknowns that they can go in different directions now obviously that could turn into disaster but it could also right. i also trust neil Druckmann and hbo could be written like crash yeah no. the, i mean chernobyl was amazing and i know and i trust Chernobyl. neil Druckmann to have good sense of like who to have on this project or or when i presume he's overseeing it so right I, i'd have yeah. faith but it could always still pan out as bad for sure but yeah. And I mean, how far are you in Last of Us Part 2 anyway? So I just, I didn't finish day one, but I was, I had just gotten gas and a certain ah. friend blew up. Okay. Yeah, no, I know where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very good. It's very ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, but I, 
the i i totally get the juxtaposition in like producing that type of thing is how do you make that appealing to a new audience that has no experience with i actually i actually think that they i think neil Druckmann or it might be somebody else i don't remember might have made a comment about this in the past that i i think they might have found a nice middle ground Mm -hmm. where i I think he said that they're going to focus on different aspects than they focused on in the game because it's it's still going to be joel and ellie's story Mm. but it's going to be they're going to focus on different things they're going to lean into the fact that it's a tv show not a game right which i think is very smart so it's going to be the same i assume it's going to be the same story with but told differently so it very Mm. well could be the fact that it's um it's joel and ellie uh you being used as like a vessel to go and meet all these different characters that you want to learn more about and learning more about them in every episode i mean there are mm. whole months in the last of us one that you don't get to see because they're just traveling so we we it's literally canon that we don't know what happens certain time i mean they made a whole dlc you know left behind based on right. a gap in which time is which is excellent um so yeah. you know they uh, they could definitely make a TV show out of some of the months that we aren't, we never got to see. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, like, you, you, at, at this point, yeah, we kind of just have to trust that they're making the right decision for for the property and telling a good story. So, hopefully, yeah. And if there cool. was a, if there was ever a, a game that could be turned into a TV show successfully, obviously, yeah, it is absolutely. the Last of Us. Yeah, yeah, it's very um, cinematic in its presentation. And of course, speaking of the Last of Us um do you want to take a stab in the dark uh rob and guess which game is sweeping up the game awards this year as the nominees were just announced i mean it's either uh, to me it's either last of us or hades that would be the standouts well it's actually is both i mean the last of us part two has the i think it has the most nominations i think it had about 10 nominations um and hades i think was second Oh, yeah, awesome. which I love to see. I love to see it. Yeah, I, I definitely. Do we know I've if never... this is the most that Supergiant has ever been nominated for? Has Supergiant ever been nominated for Game Awards? I've they have. Whole... Yeah, they have. Like for stuff like, uh, like audio design okay. or artist art direction type of thing. But sure, the uh, this is my game of the year easily, yeah. and I'm I'm happy to see it get that much representation. I haven't uh, touched Hades yet, but um, from what I've heard about it, it definitely deserves <laughs> to be uh, to get as many nominations as it has. Um, I, yeah, I I think I'm looking at the Game of the Year nominees here, and I'll, I'll read them out to you. So it's uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons, Doom Eternal, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, and The Last of Us Part Two. Now, having not played Hades, Hades is the only one of these I've not played. Mm. Uh, and Dory, I know you're going to disagree with this. Uh-huh. I think this list of Game of the Year nominees is perfect, except for the fact that Ghost of Tsushima is on here. Incorrect. Be- like, because it is a very good game. It's a great game, but it's a solid 8 out of 10. It's not It's not in the same league I, as these other games. I, mis- I misheard James. I could have sworn he just said <laughs> 9 out of 10, but that's, so that's weird. No, I, I, you know, obviously we disagree on this, and that's fine. I, I was really grabbed by both the story and the gameplay, but I understand it is an open world game. And hey, I'm picky as heck about. Uh, I know Rob wants to talk about Breath of the Wild with me for the millionth time, but I'm really picky <laughs> about open world games. And so, like, I, 
you know, I loved uh, Tsushima. And uh, honestly, just adding Legends, I mean, adds an, a whole other dimension to it being a 9 out of 10 for me. But um, that said, I Legend. mean, this is a great list. I, I huh. you know, I think pretty much, I mean, I the only game I haven't played, I'm, I'm pretty proud to say this, I have only not played Animal Crossing. And that said, I've played and beaten every other game on here. Well, I mean, I've beaten Hades, but you know. Um, and so I, I love this list. I mean, this is just about my top five or was my top five before miles um because unlike jeff Keeley, i can actually accommodate for the last two months uh <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting I, I did think that the but do we know when the cutoff was because i did think that the ps5 launch november. games november i think it's november it's like 18th or something or it's, it's early november oh early it seems to be in, in consistent yeah. with how it's been in the past yeah but uh yeah, I, that's the thing as well. Like a lot of people have been saying, they seem to sort of get to the next year and forget about all the stuff that came out the previous yeah. year that missed the cutoff. Like, um, I mean, although uh, last year Super Smash Bros. Ultimate was nominated for um, Game of the Year, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me because obviously Jedi Fallen Order was only nominated for I think Best Action Game. I might be getting that wrong, but uh, what's interesting yeah, to me, right. what is most interesting to me about this list is the fact that Half-Life Alex wasn't, and I haven't played that, but based on what everyone said about it, I figured Half-Life Alex would be nominated for Game of the Year, and without even having played it, I'd probably swap it with Ghost of Tsushima. So that's that's interesting. I, I agree with you in that I think it, not necessarily that it was snubbed, but it seems, I also haven't played it, but it seems like it is perfectly made for like an oscars style like yeah. slot for best game uh but it i probably i haven't finished ghost of Tsushima either that was another one that i much like last of us 2 was waiting until i got my ps5 and boy howdy am i so glad that i did because that game looks incredible on a ps5 cool. um wait hang on hang on hang on can we i want to take a pause here yeah does it have enhancements yes it's 4K 60. <laughs> Wait, it's so good. James is like failure to compute. Failure yeah. to compute. <laughs> it's dynamic 4K with 60. Even on like high resolution mode, it runs in like pretty much consistent 60. It, it looks incredible. Wow. It okay. looks James so is leaving good. the podcast now, Rob. That's one that I I I wanted to wait until PS5. I didn't even know it was getting these enhancements, but it was like well, assuming that it's like a PS4, uh, the like the last title released in the PlayStation 4's lifespan uh, within the same year of the PS5, if that wasn't backwards compatible in some respect, that's asinine. But yeah, seeing the improvements that it actually got, like I, I'm very happy that I waited. Um, I made I just basically played a lot of Legends, and in and of itself, that mode is incredible. It's awesome. Um, but the pick that I would probably take uh, last of or Half Life over is Doom Eternal, which yeah. I love. I love that game, uh, but it seems I I definitely appreciated. I think 2016 a little bit more in its novelty, but I still think Doom Eternal was a, a, a thrill ride that just did not relent, and I enjoyed because I grew up playing Doom on my PC, and that like that speaks to me as a kid. Uh, but I don't think it hangs with the it rest doesn't. of I, 
I I, I really like so. I mean, fun fact: Doom Eternal was my first ever Doom game. I I played Quake when I was younger, but I never got into Doom. Um, and so Doom Eternal was the first game I ever first Doom game I ever played. Uh, and I really liked it, but I had some frustrations with how long it felt, and some of the later bosses are incredibly tedious and punishing. In ways the last that boss I think goes on far too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's um, I but I still think it's a great game. I just don't think it's game. Oh. I mean, it was in my top five for a hot second for a couple months, but then I mean, you know, other games came out, and I was just right. like, Ghost of Tsushima, Miles Morales, you know. Other games come out, right. Hades, and I was just like, "No, this is honorable mentions, but or or top ten, but it's not top like five. it's a it's a good candidate for like best action game." Yeah, I agree. I yeah. I think it's better than like uh, what Fallen Order was. I I liked Fallen Order, but I think that if it was like if I had to cut something from that list, it would be Fallen Order in place of Doom. But I don't yeah. I don't view Doom as like a game of the year. I, I don't it's a great that. game, but it is not at the same echelon that well, a lot of what these other games are doing. Yeah. I do want to talk uh, quickly about the award for uh, the Innovation in Accessibility Award, uh, which is also a new one for the Keeleys. Um, so they've got, uh, for this one, the nominees are Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Grounded, The Last of Us Part Two, Watch Dogs Legion, and Hyperdot, which is a game made by a friend of uh, the Minimax show, uh, not friend of the show, maybe friend of the show. We could, can we say he's, he's a friend of the show? I mean, I've played with Charles before, sure. He's I was okay. say, like, he's a legendary Ghost of Tsushima Legends player. That's right. <laughs> and that, he's, he's a sure. Uh, made by legendary Ghost of Tsushima Legends player, George, uh, Charles McGregor. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's a, a good award. We've talked about it before a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I remember hearing a bit about Grounded uh, and that sort of settings for accessibility that it had but i think the last of us part two is probably going to sweep this if i'm being honest i having not played Watch Dogs legion grounded or assassin's creed valhalla um but the last of us part two seems like a powerhouse in accessibility i i honestly kind of hope that um when we do the I, if we're still doing this james obviously we can talk about this off the air but um, if we watch the game awards together as a PS premiere thing, I uh, would just love it. Like every time that the last of us part two wins, not because I want it to win every time, but just uh -huh. a, out of a little bit of pettiness of those people who are like, you know, social justice, my politics or whatever. I just want them so bad. To Keep just... politics out of my game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love call of duty, but get politics out of my game. You know, come on. God. <laughs> Pedal gear doesn't have politics. That's right. <laughs> especially sons of the patriots um anyway yeah I, I i really do hope there's uh seriously though i really do hope there's some diversity in winning i mean i want hades to win some goddamn awards because it deserves it um uh, but i'm hoping yeah, i just want the last of us i want the last of us to sweep i think what we should do I if have... we do end up oh. if we do end up doing reactions to the game awards i think what we should do is take a shot every time the last of us part two wins an award <laughs> i'll take a shot well either Either you'll end up uh, nicely buzzed, or you'll be collapsed on the floor, probably getting alcohol poisoning. <laughs> One of two directions. Probably the latter. You know, I actually yeah. have an agreement with a fellow MinMax member, Amos, uh, and he and I have this running agreement where he's like, all right, Last of Us Part Two can win Game of the Year if Final Fantasy VII wins Best Original Soundtrack. And I was like, you got yourself a deal. 
Um, so I mean, Final Fantasy. This has been an incredible year for soundtracks. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. just with, like between Doom Eternal and Final Fantasy VII Remake alone, mm-hmm. not even counting like The Last of Us Part Two, which is also phenomenal, and uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which is also very good in some and places. I would argue Miles as well. Yeah, Miles. Miles so interestingly <laughs> enough, with Miles, like the original Spider-Man, I feel like I might be alone in this opinion but with spider-man i wasn't a fan of the soundtrack in that game i thought it was it's it's, it's definitely fitting but it was also very generic and unmemorable i agree with you yeah um i agree with you 100 i i feel like they've remedied that with miles um it's like it, it's a very similar soundtrack but it has that extra sort of style on top of it they've definitely Much made it like... more engaging I, I didn't have a strong opinion on the soundtrack i liked it but you're you're right definitely right that it definitely sounded generically superhero i mean it was good but it just much like my uh, my perspective on it is much like with Miles Morales, the character to Peter Parker, I think it is ha- it has more personality and character that yeah. it like that stands out apart more and is more engaging to me. I don't care much about Peter Parker; he's fine. Uh, Miles Morales is like one hell of a character, and yeah. I think the soundtrack fits. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you guys, what do you think is going to win Game of the Year? I think Last of Us 2 will win. I really hope Hades does. I, but I, I, I think that's wishful yeah. thinking. I think Last of Us Part 2 will win, and I'm okay if Hades doesn't. <laughs> but I would also be okay How if Hades does. How do I leave does. this Discord? <laughs> <laughs> what, <laughs> what'd you say, uh, Rob? I said, how do I leave this call? How does Discord work? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> how do I get out of here? How can I not be on this podcast again? I, I to- it totally feels like the Oscars worthy uh, prestige of like like you mentioned with accessibility. Yeah. Uh, Last of Us probably being a strong candidate for that. I think at the very least, there there is no downside to Last of Us winning for that award because it shows that. Triple A production quality should account for accessibility in games and should be the litmus test for what needs to be done, even if they have the budget for it. I get it, but accessibility needs to be at the forefront of this medium. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 100%. in terms of being a prestige bait game, I mean, just watch the Tim Rogers review of The Last of Us uh, <laughs> and just say, see how many times he says the word prestige or prestige game. Like, that is absolutely what Naughty Dog is going for. If there is an, If there was a game that is the equivalent of Oscar bait, it is absolutely The Last of Us and what Naughty Dog is trying to do with video games. Like they are absolutely oh. award baiting, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I, yeah. I, I think I think they make tremendous video games. I, you know, it's not like they're elegy, elegy of a hillbilly or something on Netflix, right? So, but yeah, I, I just hope that becomes the biggest takeaway is that from from that game in that respect is this needs to be a priority 100 we need to take into account this dynamic of the of the player base because like with what with microsoft doing with the adaptive controller like that needs to be prioritized and able gamers is doing great work yeah 100 um so yeah that about wraps it up i think um so thanks for joining me guys um uh rob do you have anything that you want to plug before we wrap up here well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. Uh, it was very kind of you, and I'm—I had a blast recording with you guys, y- y'all tonight. Um, 
I do. Uh, first and foremost, Draft Punks. I am, like you mentioned before, one quarter of the crew. Quarter being three of us, Brian uh, or Roland uh, as a moderator on Max, Travis McGahey or um, J. Walter Weatherman as we uh, so lovingly know him as myself. And then the rotating chair of the whichever guest seems appropriate. Right now, I think Captain Stubbs is the most featured guest, yes, followed up by uh, potentially well, Greg and Alex are too. Um, so we do that every week. Uh, we draft the things that people are too scared to. Uh, <laughs> the media uh, doesn't but... want you to know about the bird draft, <laughs> but I'm here to bird tell draft. you the bird draft is real. <laughs> Birds are not, but the bird draft is. <laughs> penguins. Travis will have you believe penguins are not real. That man's a coward. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have so much fun every week and it's a really great exercise in creativity that we have but uh, piggybacking off of that tomorrow as of the day of this recording uh, so it will be November 21st I am doing for the MinMax Cross Game Informer Extra Life team uh, I am doing a 24 hour live stream uh, for Extra Life for specifically the Intermountain Foundation Children's Primary, our primary children's hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, my goal is $1,000. Uh, first milestone, if I get to $500, my beard's going off. This beautiful thing is going away. Uh, and if I get to $1,000, i am getting the uh, icon that they have for this year tattooed on my body. Uh, wow. So that's the goal. Um, for the kids so, for the Perma- kids <laughs> permanently scarring yourself for the kids i mean i have tattoos already and they, like oh. that one i i've got a, a few as it is so uh, it's not a huge deal to me i got my first most important ones out of the way but i feel like the reason why i decided to do that was specifically like game informer to some extent because it's been a foundation of my life since i was a child uh but minmax in particular this year has helped in like one my mental health and two the friendships and like the community that has grown such as ps premiere uh draft punks so many things have, uh have spawned from that and i feel like what a better way to test make that a testament uh than on my body so it has significance as well in that respect uh so it starts at 9 a.m mountain time we will be doing a live episode of Draft Punks, uh, donation reward, uh, $5 if you uh, participate in that. We, w- we are doing a, we already did our Thanksgiving Sides episode, but we are doing what we're thankful for. And we're not doing a standard draft. For, we can't really draft like, I'm thankful for Travis's dog, Archie. Uh, I could, but I think Travis would probably be pissed. <laughs> um, shambles. <laughs> shambles. So... We're just doing five things we're thankful for, uh, thankful for uh, on that in the same type of format style. Uh, so catch that 9 a.m. to 9 a.m. Mountain Time this weekend. Extra life for the kids. Thank for you. the kids, great. Uh, so if you're listening to this, go check that out and uh, donate. Um, so yeah, as for us, uh, Dory, you have a couple of reviews coming. You've got uh, Miles Morales and 
Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory on the way. That's right. I've Hell got yeah. I've got Miles Morales in the oven. It is fresh and ready, and I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, but uh, it is. <laughs> you that poor uh, man. <laughs> the uh, it, it, the <laughs> Miles Morales review is just about done. I just got to do the voiceover. Um, I got to send James some clips, but hopefully it'll be up Sunday or Monday. I'm very excited about this review. It'll be spoilers the most positive review i think i've ever written for this uh for the for the site for the place whatever the channel um and then my melody of memory should be out maybe next week if not the week after and that'll be fairly positive as well not without some more criticism um if that's were... a definitely a shift in tone from obviously you are known as the harshest critic in that's... the west Absolutely. Yeah, everyone knows. I am world-renowned, James, for my uh, critical eye towards Kingdom Hearts. Um, my unabashed hatred towards it. Anyway, um, yeah, no, side note, Kingdom Hearts basically saved my life in 2017. So, anyway, uh, so I kind of love the series a lot. Um, but, yeah, um, if you would like to find me on a place, I will actually be on Rick's stream at some point. Uh, I think we're doing something on Sunday um so yes yeah yeah uh i should also clarify i am i'm i i am always good about like saying what the things are but i never mention where you can see it uh it's <laughs> twitch.tv slash raven named rook as yes. the twitch channel but yes so we are going to be doing a send-off dance party uh at yes. the end of the stream sunday morning and uh i believe both of uh you are going to be featured in dancing with uh, some other notable fun people yes great Yes, definitely. So Can't wait to dance if you're out. looking for me on Twitch, um, you will find me at Declare, uh, that's C-L-E-Y-R-E, uh, 192. Um, I have been, I was streaming Miles Morales. I streamed the whole game, basically, uh, and until I got 100%, and now I'm basically done streaming it. Um, and then I am going to go back to Playtale, finish that up, and I think I'll be starting Uncharted to Thief's End pretty soon, I think. As Great. I look longingly in a random direction that seems to you, but to me, I'm looking at my game comments. It's not random. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, thanks for joining me again, guys. Uh, it's been a fun few hours, um, and uh, we will see you next time. Okay? Woo! Bye! Bye! Bye.